So Jesus, after he was doing uh, some of his stuff, uh, he started to make a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news. Uh, this is Eugene Peterson's translation, talking about what it is when God is sort of in control and, and God's spirit is moving things in heavy ways. And he healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. In other words, he needed more people to get out the good news. The, prayers, the prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus called 12 of his followers and sent them into the ripe fields. He gave them power to kick out the evil spirits and to, and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. So he sent them out to evangelize, basically, spread the good news. And my question for you today, in terms of evangelism and missions, you know what the churchy answer is, but I'm asking you personally, is this whole idea out of date in our modern world? This idea of going out and proselytizing, evangelizing, uh, winning people to Christ, how do we understand that uh, today? It's complex, isn't it? Uh, and it's complex because the waters have been muddied in uh, the recent centuries uh, to give us sort of a caricature of what that might mean. Uh, my son Noah, who uh, came up uh, with his girlfriend to celebrate uh, my birthday and Father's Day, uh, he shared a video with us last night, uh, a comedian uh, who's Chinese, and uh, he ripped off a, a true story uh, from a missionary experience in Alaska. And so he tells the story about how uh, his first steps into the airport uh, coming over from China, and uh, he is greeted uh, by a very eager Christian uh, who comes up to him and says, hey, do you know Jesus Christ? Because he's the only way to get to heaven. And uh, the guy says, no, I haven't met him. He says, well, you better, because if you don't, you're going to hell. And the Chinese uh, Im now immigrant says back to the guy, well, what about the billion people in China, you know, that I just left behind? And the evangelist said, well, that's not a problem because they don't know about Jesus Christ. And so the guy said, well, why did you tell me? <laughs> so we have this idea that has been created uh, out of uh, history uh, that that's what evangelism is all about. And that has been the dominant theme is get your sins forgiven, get cleaned up, because God is a holy God, and if you don't, you are not going to be welcome uh, in heaven, and you better accept what Jesus has for you. Uh, so that gives us a few different ways of thinking about religion in general. So I'm going to buzzsaw through a bunch of these things uh, kind of quickly, so let me fire hose you uh, with information. Um, in terms of religion's orientations, this comes from Marcus Borg. First, we have the absolutist perspective, which is still very much alive and well today. And that simply says that my religion is right. And if you don't agree with me, that means you are wrong. And because I'm right and I'm telling you my religion leads to usually heaven, uh, then if you don't believe my religion, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's really too bad for you. And that's often kind of the attitude that comes off, right, uh, with people who are really, really passionate about it, even if their passion is well-intentioned, and they might even have grace around it, and they, I've seen people weep, you know, before for loved ones that they're trying to implore, because in their worldview, the way they see things, that's exactly true for them, and so the idea that you're not embracing this 
obvious truth of theirs literally breaks their heart. And they're truly worried for your well-being well past the grave, right? It's genuine. They're not making it up. That's the absolutist perspective. And you've got uh, Christians who say this. You've got Jewish people who say this. You've got Muslim people who say this. You have Hindu people who say this. You have Buddhist people who say this. Within Christianity, you have lots of different Christian flavors that are all saying their flavor of Christianity is the only one that's really, really true. By the way, just a quick shout out to celebrate this church. Uh, so this past week, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention that we're not affiliated with uh, made a decision uh, that any church that had women teachers uh, in their ranks uh, that were teaching over men were no longer allowed to be part of the Southern Baptist Convention. That blows my mind. And one mega church down in, uh, uh, down in the LA area, Saddleback Community Church, some 12,000 members was kicked out uh, because uh, one of their co-pastors is a woman. It's unbelievable. But Crosswalk, uh, we see things differently. Uh, we interpret the Bible differently. And so we welcome everybody really, really. Uh, and we affirm you really, really LGBTQ, BIPOC, the whole nine yards, and we're glad that you're here. So I celebrate the freedom that this church has, and I thank you for being those people. So the absolutist perspective, I think you get that. That's the very black and white uh, way of seeing the world, and uh, lots of sheep and goats se uh, separating, and generally the person talking always puts themselves in the sheep camp, and if you don't agree with them, you're in the goat camp, and that's not a good thing. Then we have the reductionist perspective. In short, the reductionist perspective says this, and this is an increasingly popular way of thinking uh, in the secular world, that uh, the whole thing of religion, all of them, are man-made creations. They're all a bunch of nonsense. They've caused more problems than they've helped, and so we should just let the whole thing go. This is the absolute reductionist uh, way of thinking about it. Uh, sometimes uh, Christians and other people in religions they reduce it in another way, uh, which we'll sort of get to, uh, but they reduce it down to the elements to basically say, well, all the world religions basically say the same thing, which is kind of true in terms of where they're headed, like Dave said. But make no mistake, uh, the religions do not give you the same doctrine. They don't tell the same stories, even if they may end in the same place. So that gives us what Org ta talks about, Borg talks about, as the sacramental perspective, which means that religion as sacrament, in this frame, um, we look at it this way, that religions are human creations, that's true, uh, they were made by human beings, understood, but they were understood in response to sacred experiences. So different people in different contexts all over the world, uh, and different communities of people, different ethnic groups, depending where they were, experienced what we're calling the sacred, the other, the more, and they started to craft ideas from their experience that built into religion, their, their particular religion. And because they were contextualized in their geographical space, their cultural linguistic traditions. So there are things that we understand very clearly uh, in our English uh, Western Christian language that we know exactly what we're talking about when you hear particular words, but people from other religious traditions or other parts of the world, they have no idea what we're talking about. 
because they may not be in our particular cultural context. And therefore, the language is different. All of these different religions, in terms of thinking about them as being sacraments, ways of uh, delivering the sacred or helping people usher into the sacred, is their wisdom traditions. Every single enduring religion uh, is a wisdom tradition. They have something to say to the world about how to experience life at a deeper, more wise level. There are also aesthetic traditions. We don't think about this, but they're in some uh, within Christianity alone. Uh, there are some uh, branches of Christianity that are heavy on iconography. And you walk into their temples or their sanctuaries, and you see all kinds of icons of saints, different kinds of crosses, stained glass windows, all that stuff. Uh, in our tradition, uh, which we are part of the Baptist world and Protestant, uh, there was a, a real shift in church history that said we shouldn't even have such images in church because they lead to idolatry. We'll start worshiping the image rather than worshiping the God the image is supposed to help us focus on. And so in a lot of uh, Baptist churches in particular, if you go into their sanctuaries, they're very bare. You might not see much at all. Uh, we're improving on that, thanks to Lauren Haas and large measure in our sanctuary with these different tapestry type things to give us some scenes. And we're going to be trying to figure out some cool stained glass stuff in there. So we're working on that. Um, and we need to because we're missing out on the aesthetics uh, that our faith can speak into. Uh, religions of sacrament, they're also communities of practice. So there are things that we do as people. We have a rhythm, even though we are a, a very a free church experience in our particular tradition, uh, we still have our rhythm. Um, Waco, uh, Shannon Hickey, who spoke here a couple weeks ago, uh, she was poking a little bit of fun at me uh, because uh, when she spoke, it happened to be a Pentecost Sunday. And uh, she was affiliated, uh, had a dear person in her life that was an Episcopal priest. And Episcopalians uh, really go strong on uh, their liturgy when it comes to Pentecost. And so everybody wears red, you know, in the service, because that represents the spirit. There's lots of uh, imagery that happens. There's lots of interaction and stuff. And I think she tried to incorporate some of that uh, with you all. And she, uh, she recently, I was at an interfaith meeting with her and she said, so I spoke at Pete's church and I was the only person wearing a red shirt. <laughs> right. Well, that's not to say we're not liturgical. Every church is, every church has their flow. We have our flow. It starts with coffee and donuts, <laughs> a second donut, <laughs> and then we usually have a get your butt in your seat song to kind of wake you up and get you there, and then we bring you up to speed what's going on. We, we try to dial it in a little bit so you're more focused on the moment. We invite Dave or somebody else to lead us in a meditation. Then we have a prayer-ish kind of song to slow things down, center us. You get the teaching, and then you're generally out here. Sometimes there's a song, sometimes they're not. This is a flow. That's liturgical. That is a practice thing, but also Christian practices, other things that we do for each other. Uh, we have a prayer ministry here. That's a practice. We teach our kids what's going on. We have adult things that are going on to teach people. We have ways of serving the community here. Those are all practices, and every religion has their forms of practice that are spiritual, but also service-oriented. And finally, uh, all of these uh, religions that are enduring are communities of transformation all of them. Uh, they're not just there to, you know, get people's money or waste their time or give us an excuse to make a nice building. They're there because they want to see transformation happen in people's lives and people's world out of the story that they have understood from their sacred experiences over time in their particular context. 
It's quite fascinating, really, when you think about it. All religions, stop it, there we go. All religions affirm the more, the real, the sacred uh, in one way or another. Even Buddhist traditions that are not particularly theological are still tying in to this more real and sacred. All religions that are enduring uh, offer a path of transformation, how your life is going to change. Uh, they all offer practices for the journey, and they all offer compassion. That's the goal that uh, Dave was talking about, that at the end of the day, that's where they're all headed as life's primary virtue, compassion and love for the other. And they all have their own collections of belief and teaching. So when we think about uh, faith or religions as sacraments, we can very easily get to this, where we can just say, well, we should all coexist, because that just makes sense. So thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week, and uh, away we go. Well, actually, if, if only, if only, right? But no, you know me. I don't preach less than 20 minutes. That never happens. So, so what I want to talk about, and I want to raise the question, the coexist thing, which I like. I'm obviously, I bought the t-shirt, so I, I'm in, you know, on coexist. But my question is, is that really the point? Are we just supposed to say, okay, live and let live? We'll do our Jesus following thing, our own niche of Christianity, which, you know, we're a pretty rare experience here in Napa and even globally. Uh, we're kind of an outlier in the way that we're thinking that it's becoming more common, but we're still on the new side of ways of thinking about things. And we'll let other Christians do their thing. And we'll let Jewish people do their thing and on and on and on. Just let everybody do their thing and get along. Well, that would be nice. And that would uh, cause a lot of wars to cease, I think, in different parts of the world. So that could be very positive. But is that the point? And is that enough? And I want to say to you, no. That if we could, we should add a plus sign to coexist. Now, Borg has his own uh, comments on this, and he says it like this. He says, understand. It's not there yet. All right. He says, understanding other religions can enrich our understanding of Christianity and what it means to be Christian. Religious pluralism can help us see our own tradition better, and I add to his words, and help other traditions see themselves as well. Let me talk a little about this. Uh, so uh, interesting stuff. There's a guy named John Cobb, and he is um, currently the world's uh, senior voice and wisest voice, most read voice on things related to what we know as open and relational theology. Technically, it's process theology and philosophy. He's like the, the expert right now globally um, on the development of the whole thing. He started a center down in Claremont, uh, Southern California. Uh, he's deep into his 90s, and he's still writing. He's still doing uh, teaching stuff via Zoom. He's a remarkable uh, human being. And what he has to say about uh, how we understand ourselves in relationship with other religions is really quite rich. Uh, one thing that he says to sort of get to the point is he, he talked about a study that was done on people in their respective forms of meditation. So you had a Western Christian who was doing their devotions, right? Their prayerful devotions in a Western Christian kind of way. So it's an American doing their daily devotion. They had a yogi uh, from the Hindu tradition doing his meditation. And then they had a Buddhist doing his form of meditation. And they were checking their brain waves as they were doing this, okay? Uh, and as they were in their meditation 
space. They gave them time to sort of settle in. They would ring a bell now and again, just to mess with them. I would love to have been that guy. <laughs> they wanted to see what would happen in their brain waves when they were in, in the zone, so to speak. And what they discovered was, is that the Western Christians, the American Christians, anytime the bell would ring there, you could tell that they were annoyed uh, by the activity on their brain. They're like, who's ringing that stupid bell? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to concentrate here. They could see something happen. But then when they looked at the Buddhists and the yogi and their meditation, the Buddhists, you could hardly see anything, just a very slight blip every time uh, the bell would ring. And the yogi, deep in meditation, absolutely nothing. So focused on their meditation that whatever was happening on the outside had no effect on what was happening on the inside. And so Cobb uses that as an example to say, you know, these three religions, religious perspectives, have something to learn from each other. Uh, Christians in the West for sure have to learn about it because we're very uncomfortable with mindfulness and meditation. When I first introduced it here, it was kind of held with a little bit of resistance because we're not used to just silence and breathing, even though I'm certain that Jesus did it. And I'm certain that the ancient rabbis were well-practiced in it, but it's unusual because it's unfamiliar to us. We have something to learn from Buddhists and yogis in the world. But even within uh, Buddhists and, and these yogis, these are two very different theological perspectives. I mean, I don't know much more about the Buddhists, but it could have been a Buddhist from a tradition that is not even theological, doesn't really think a lot about some divine other. And whereas the yogis and Hinduism, there could be innumerable gods, innumerable gods. And so how is it that these two different traditions that are different from ours, how could they teach us? about getting so in the zone in a space where the distractions around us no longer distract us. That's important for centering. And if we have a hope to listen for the still small voice of God, those things might be helpful. In other ways of thinking, though, I've been thinking about what those disciples uh, said uh, when Jesus pushed them out, because he did. He gave them some instructions. We're not going to get into that today. Uh, but he gave them instructions uh, to go in, don't take too much stuff with you, uh, if they reject you, just keep on going, uh, be uh, sh uh, shrewd as snakes and gentle as uh, doves. That was sort of his idea there. So be smart uh, when you're going in. And so the disciples went into uh, the harvest field, right, uh, to do their thing. And you know what they said uh, when they went into a new town? They raised their hand and they said, hello, uh, I'm here to tell you about Jesus Christ who died for your sins so that you can go to heaven someday. And people in the town would hear that and they would say, what? Jesus died. He was just in the neighboring town just yesterday. None of them said that. You know why? Because Jesus was alive. So what in the world were they doing? What were they going and saying to these different communities if they weren't hyper-focused on making sure that they said the magic words to get their sins forgiven so that they could one day go to heaven? What were they talking about? Must not have been about that. What were they doing? They were doing the same things that Jesus was doing, following in the same footsteps because that's who they were following. They were going in and they were giving healing. They were giving, and that means well-being in its deepest way, 
Some people, it was emotional well-being that they needed to hear. Some people, God, in some way, uh, in their midst, the Spirit at work, not breaking in, but already among us, somehow was doing other kinds of work in their midst. And I would suggest on this Father's Day that one of the things that they were helping heal uh, had to do with daddy issues. Now, theologically, they had big daddy issues. Because in their vision at this point, their primary view of God was what so many people have. An angry dad sitting at home, waiting for their stupid kid to get home too late with the car that they said you had to be, you know what I mean? Uh, waiting for the kid to come home so that they could be told what you did wrong and here are the consequences. The view of that God, even though this is not the general tone of the Old Testament, the, the loving God is fully present in what we call the Old Testament, the former Testament, uh, but we human beings sometimes in weird ways find ourselves still envisioning this God who's angry, who's mad, who just wants to kick our butts, and it's incredibly harmful to us. We think it's a good thing. We think it's going to help us clean up our act, but actually what it does, it makes us want to have a distance from God. We just kind of want to do our bit. We want to do the things we're supposed to do uh, to make sure that God doesn't, you know, whack us and then go on with our lives. Keep God at bay, do the minimum, and let's keep going forward because we don't really like God in this framework. But as Ann said, Jesus' understanding of God from his experience, I believe, late in life, I believe, is that this God may be father, but father is not the right word for us. It's Abba. It's daddy. It's this loving parent who longs for the best for his kid and wants the very best for God's child, regardless. This is the message I think the disciples went to speak. Uh, if we want to break, break that down a little bit more, uh, the message is love is that at the end of the day, the thing that is sustaining everything, the thing that is allowing creation to continue even now, that is allowing your body to still be working at the end of the day, is love. That really is the bottom line. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's what we want. It's what we want for our lives. We want to be loved. We want to be able to love somebody else love a community, know that we're in a community of love because that's what give our life, gives our lives meaning. But these daddy issues are significant. I read an article um, just yesterday on uh, Ted Lasso. Anybody watch Ted Lasso? All right. Uh, and he was talking about the guy named uh, Trent Wim or Rim or what is it? Krim? All right. He's talking about uh, Trent Krim, who is a, uh, he's a journalist and uh, he shows up in season one, a little bit in season two, but he learned from Jason Sudakis uh, somewhere in season two, Jason said to the star, who's Ted Lasso, uh, says to the guy who played Krim, um, the real arc of your story is going to show up in season three, which is really good news for him because that meant that he had a job going into season three. He's very happy about that. But in conversation about their character development, all that, Jason Sudeikis said that one massive theme that is present in Ted Lasso is people dealing with difficult daddy issues. And you see it in character after character after character. Broken relationships, 
with dad. And I don't think that's just in a TV show. I think the reason why that is a a popular show is because it resonates with people. It's funny. It's an interesting storyline, good writing, great characters, but everybody can relate to what's happening with the characters in the story because it's a human issue. And I wonder how we can learn from Jesus on this, who he himself, to some degree, um, experienced the loss of his father, probably early in life. And his grief and understanding about that. And I wonder what that did to him, uh, losing his dad. Uh, like I said, probably early. And that made me think while Anne was singing the Grace song, it made me think of Bono, the lead singer for U2, who lost his mother uh, in high school. And his dad, like many men in the world, uh, did not have the emotional intelligence to know what to do with it, uh, to deal with emotional language to emote, to understand grief. And so like many dads uh, today, they just didn't talk about it. The death of his beloved wife, his kid's mother, never talked about it going forward at all. So there were issues. And a lot of Bono's angst that he's working out in his music is related to this adult long struggle and bono's now in his 60s sorting it through finding some little bit of peace as his father is taking his last breath but not completely this is a serious issue and what i want to suggest to you is the good news that we have first of all i know looking around here that there are a lot of good dads and way to go uh and you're you're you've probably blown it once or twice (laughs) But I'm happy that you're here because that says something about who you are and what you're trying to become because our faith that we proclaim here is transformative and it's to make us better human beings. And that's good. But I'll tell you one thing that was transformative for me in my life. And that was to understand this idea of Abba. And it came clear to me uh, in my college years when I was dealing with my own family of origin stuff, and I really, uh, I really needed uh, that kind of Abba that I saw with Jesus, and it changed my life. I think that kind of experience is something a lot of people have to hear, that would want to hear about this kind of depth of transformative love that gives you a foundation that is incredibly powerful, that is incredibly inclusive, that this Abba's love is literally for everybody. And we have something to tell even other religions in the world about, which is a positive thing. It's not us telling any other religion in the world, you've got it wrong. We're just simply saying, hey, we're seeing this this way from our experience. Change the metaphor for a moment. So uh, it's my birthday today, and I got out of bed, and I looked in the mirror, and I said, not looking too bad. And then I put on my glasses. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> well, you know how we see ourselves, what we look at, uh, we see with a particular lens. Now, you've heard me talk about paradigms and all this. And John Cobb talks a little about our, our paradigms and how, that, how important that is when we're talking about the more God, all this stuff. Uh, and how we see God through our paradigms. And that's really, really important just to be able to, first of all, respect that. 
Uh, you've probably heard the, the Buddhist example of uh, world religions as an elephant and different religions feeling different parts of the, the same elephant, but it feels very, very differently. I want to take that to a, different re, uh, uh, to a different level that Cobb gives us, which I think is so profound. And he says, we got we to really think through that lens idea that different religious experiences and different people around the world, they're going to see things differently because their lens is so very different than ours. It's not just about a cultural linguistic thing, but they see very differently. And it's like, uh, if, if you look at, if you go to a doctor and you're having trouble with whatever thing, and they, they, they just look you over, um, if there's something that they're actually concerned about, they're not going to be satisfied with just looking at you in front of them, right? They're going to want to look at you in different ways. So uh, they're probably going to want to draw some blood because they're going to want to see you through the lens of all sorts of labs done on your blood. Depending on what you're messing with, uh, they may want to see you with the lens of just a simple x-ray. They want to see what's going on with that bone or that joint or that disc to see what they can get. If it's not a bone thing and they want to get into your brain, what are they going to do? They're going to give you a CAT scan, an MRI type of thing, and they're going to move you into that, and they're going to want to see what's going on there. Different kinds of lenses, and all of these different lenses give you way more information than one lens alone. So perhaps Western Christianity is just using my glasses, uh, and that's going to be helpful uh, with correction. I'm 20-20, maybe even a little bit better uh, at the start of the day anyway. Uh, so maybe that's our offering to the world. But what if Buddhism, what if Hinduism, what if Judaism, what if, what if Islam, uh, what if uh, Sufism, what if uh, our Sikh friends uh, have something to say because they have a whole different way of looking at reality? And certainly Eastern religions uh, are very different in the way they see everything compared to our Western tradition, Christianity. So I'd say coexist is fine but coexist with a plus sign where we all help each other and say, this is our experience. And this is what we want to offer the world to think about the more, to think about God. What's your experience over there? What are you seeing? It gets away from this binary thinking, which is such a modern reality of this is the way. And if you don't get it, you're off. How small would that be? How, how could that possibly be Abba, right? I mean, can we just logic that thing out? That does not make any sense at all, that everybody, some part, far part of the world, they got to wait until uh, we send somebody to them, like the airport joke, you know, to learn about Jesus. It, could that, is that make any sense at all if this pervasive, everywhere God really, really loves humanity? No. This God is going to try everywhere through every possible means for people to get it, and they're going to get it through their cultural lens, everything they bring to the table. And so we have a lot to learn from these other traditions, which does not take anything away from what we're doing. It adds to the mix because we get to experience some of the depth and beauty that they have experienced. And we get to share information. So we get to say it to them. Sometimes we get to say things to them uh, in, a, in a helpful kind of good criticism kind of way. Like we might see some things, my friend uh, Wako, uh, who is a Buddhist uh, Zen priest, you know, she, she recently did an article about what uh, Zen Buddhism from Japan uh, can learn from Protestant Christianity in terms of sexual abuse of children. 
because they don't have any framework for that in the Japanese Zen Buddhism. And so we have something to say to other religions in other parts of the world. I love that there's a respect for that. And they can say something to us. They can say something like the reference I gave you, the yogi and the Buddha uh, priest or the Buddhist priest who have found a way to so still themselves that they're able to hear uh, what they want to hear and not the distractions. Do they have something to teach us about that? Yeah, they do. That's a much more beautiful coexist, which I think is generative. It's creative. It's expansive. Of course, it's inclusive. And man, is it hopeful. How good could it be? If people understood that, yep, we've got our distinctives. And by the way, I'm a Jesus guy. He's home based for me. It's my language that I understand. It's the tradition I understand. It's what I'm, I'm going to be a Jesus follower the rest of my life, because that's where I'm choosing to go deep. If you have, if you have the choice uh, and you do uh, to, and this is actually a Buddhist uh, principle, I think, uh, if you have the choice to drill or, or dig um, looking for water, it is better to dig one uh, well 60 feet deep then six wells, 10 feet deep. And the wisdom of that is whatever your thing is, go deep with that. Here are other traditions. That's great. But to really understand the depth of a particular religion requires time and effort. And for most of us here today, uh, that's going to be Christianity because that's what we're raised into. That's the language we know. It doesn't mean that Buddhism is you know, wrong. Hinduism's wrong and all this stuff. Do you, do you get what I'm saying though? There's room for respect for the others and it doesn't take away from what we have to say. It adds to it. That to me makes a lot more sense. So uh, in the book, Marcus Borg talks about, I'm almost done. Uh, Marcus, then you can have leftovers. Uh, Marcus Borg talks about this beautiful song and I'm going to offer I'm not going to sing the song. You get to hear it. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Uh, and, but it's a beautiful lyrics, and I don't want you to miss the lyrics in case they're a little bit too small on the screen. So this is what you're going to hear, this beautiful um, song by the tune of Finlandia. This is it. This is my song, O God of all the nations. Now, I was talking about their country, uh, but expand it to theology. Expand it to uh, their religion. This is my song, O God of all the nations, a song of peace for lands afar and mine. This is my home, the country where my heart is. Here are my hopes, my dreams, my holy shrine. But other hearts and other lands are beating with hopes and dreams as true and high as mine. My country's skies are bluer than the ocean and sunlight beams on cloverleaf and pine. But other lands have sunlight too and clover and skies are everywhere as blue as mine. This is my song, O God of all the nations, a song of peace for their land and for mine. So just sit back, enjoy the song, make sure we got good volume on this, Ted, and then we'll uh, have a prayer after this. This is my song, O God of all the Oh, my God. 
this prayer. Uh, this is the version of the Lord's Prayer uh, in a minute. But first, I just want to be still with you and uh, close our eyes and just sort out what did we hear today? What did we need to hear today? What are we called to do today uh, in response to every element that we've experienced today? So let's just spend a moment in silence and quiet and breathe again as the breeze blows fresh in our midst. What did you hear that your heart needed to hear today? Can you hear the whisper saying that you are loved? I mean, you are loved. The source of our being is love. And that this one that we call God from the experience of the Jewish people before us, when God saw you coming into creation, said, you are not just good, you're very good. You are loved, period. Whatever you have heard before that would call that into question, that is not coming from the mouth of Jesus, who says, I want to introduce you to Abba, a daddy who loves you, is present, always will be, faithful, good, mature. This is who is on your side and in your corner. God, may we build our lives on such a reality. If there is anything Jesus came to say, that was it. That when we lean into love, when we lean into what the world would look like if we built it on love, it is a beautiful thing to behold where shalom runs deep. But God, give us openness and respect for people of other parts of the world at different points in time and the gems that they have discovered. And may we give them the freedom to speak truth to us, truth about their experience of you, that we might grow broader in our understanding so that one day our worship may even be louder and our desire to know you more only greater. May we be a people that are so filled with love that we cannot help but be inclusive. May we be a people who long to serve, to make sure everybody knows that they're loved. May we stand with each other. May we stand with those who have the incapacity to stand on their own. May we walk for the justice of all, that they may know that there is a God 
who is with them and always has been. Because at the end of the day, they're going to know we are your followers by our love. To that end, God, we pray this prayer, a rendition that you taught your disciples to pray. Let's pray it together. Our loving, supportive, holy Abba, your presence is here and everywhere. May your divine commonwealth come. May your will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound. May we foster shalom everywhere. Strengthen us for the work we're called to. Amen. May it be so.